Welcome to another weekly podcast about REBT, which we call the three-minute therapy podcast after the name of my book on REBT, three-minute therapy. And I am Dr. Michael Edelstein, a clinical psychologist who is all over the world now, remotely, and an REBT therapist. And I'm here with my uh, regular partner, Kevin Benbow, an REBT therapist in Yuma, Arizona, but also all over the world now as well. And our podcasts are about three-minute therapy and REBT. REBT stands for Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, and it was developed by pioneering psychologist Albert Ellis in the 50s. And it starts with the premise that our emotions never come from situations, but rather they come from our thinking. So if you are driving and someone cuts you off and you get angry, that reckless driver did not force you to be angry you're in charge of your own emotions and you made yourself angry via your thinking. So if you don't like the emotions you have, then look at your thinking that's causing it and change your thinking. And that's what we help you do. Uh, Kevin, did you wanna say a word or two about yourself? Yeah, my name's Kevin Benbow. And as Michael said, I live and work in Yuma, Arizona. Uh, I'm uh, currently not taking uh, new people, uh, but I, I do see people uh, in both Arizona and New Mexico, and I take uh, a wide range of insurances. Uh, I've been in private practice since about uh, 2009. So, Thanks, Kevin. And I'm also in private practice, and I have a sliding fee scale. Today, we're discussing healthy versus unhealthy emotions from an REBT perspective. And there are various synonyms for that, adaptive versus non-adaptive emotions, appropriate versus inappropriate emotions, helpful versus unhelpful emotions. And what that refers to is really negative emotions, although it could refer to positive emotions, but it refers to negative emotions most of the time when we use it. And what that means is that uh, we often feel negatively about things. We don't want to have a, a feel good attitude that everything is good no matter what, but often negative things happen. And the reason we think negative things are happening is because we start with the goals. For example, I would like to do a good podcast and the would like, or I prefer to do a good podcast uh, has certain ramifications, which is if I do a good podcast, then I feel good. That's good. Not good about my total self, but good about what I did. If I think I did a poor podcast, then I feel bad because in some way, I view that as disadvantageous or unhelpful. So, um, so when we start with uh, thought preferences, 
that could lead to negative emotions, but they're helpful negative emotions because they come from preferences and they help us implement our goals, if not now, in the future. But if I escalate those preferences into a demand, into a must, a should, a supposed to, or a have to, I must do a good podcast, and that implies global evaluations. If I do, I'm great, and if I don't, I'm a loser. So avoid the must, and you will always have appropriate uh, uh, emotions, negative emotions, and also on the positive side, positive emotions. And I'll say more about the inappropriate positive emotions, but Kevin, uh, did you want to say a few things so far? Yeah, I, I, I agree, of course, there are healthy and unhealthy negative emotions. Uh, if, uh, for example, I think of bereavement, that seems to be a lot of what I'm uh, seeing today in my practice uh, with the uh, pandemic. Uh, bereavement, normal, it's normal to feel sad when a loved one passes away. It's a normal human experience that I do not believe I can talk a person out of in therapy, nor would I want to talk them out of. However, bereavement can become unhealthy when it becomes protracted and prolonged. It can get in the way of uh, someone's daily uh, functioning. Uh, I've worked with people, for example, in the past with, uh, with that uh, prolonged grief where it's lasted several years and to them it feels like it just happened yesterday. And of course, they're maintaining that unhealthy grief with, uh, with beliefs they have about the person that they lost. Uh, I, I would dare say if, uh, and this has happened to me before, I was robbed once uh, working at a pizzeria. Uh, some, the man put a gun right to my face and uh, I could not help but feel some unhealthy negative emotion there. Little bit of anxiety that caused me to comply with his demands to get on the floor while the manager emptied the cash register. So just, so it's, uh, it's, 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 it's okay and healthy to be concerned, but so we're not, we're all human beings. And so sometimes we're going to feel anxiety, especially in life or death type situations. Okay, very good. And uh, I have some disagreements there. And one is you said bereavement is unhealthy if it's prolonged. And I would disagree with that. You could bereave, feel sad or grieve the death of a loved one for all your life. And I don't see that as unhealthy uh, because it comes from a preference. I prefer my loved one had not passed away, but because he or she has, this is very, very sad. And always thinking back on it, you will still have that preference. You're not going to pretend you don't care anymore because it happened a long time ago, although you could, and that might be fine. But if you don't, you could still feel mourning and grieving. But I do agree with you, Kevin, that uh, uh, it's, at least at first, it's, it's healthy. I think it's always healthy. It becomes unhealthy when it becomes a should or a must. Uh, I should not have lost my loved one. 
this is awful. I can't possibly enjoy life or be productive uh, having this loss in my history. So that kind of unhealthy bereavement is unhealthy or maladaptive. Does that make sense? It, it does, and uh, maybe it would have been better for me to have been a little bit more, uh, a little bit more uh, detailed in my explanation. Uh, when I'm talking about chronic and persistent bereavement, uh, I have in mind what the uh, the DSM has as a uh, experimental category. Uh, this kind of bereavement basically interferes with a person's daily functioning. And so there's a pretty serious behavioral consequence to it. And that's what makes it unhealthy, doubtlessly stemming from a should or a must. But that said, that said, if uh, I lose, uh, I lost my brother in 2017 and I still miss him, I still grieve him, but it doesn't get in the way of my ability to function daily. That's, uh, that's kind of the, the tell-all for me. It can be one of the one of the clues that an emotion is an unhealthy negative emotion as to opposed to as opposed to a healthy one. Yes, I agree. That's a tell-all. And um, uh, so that makes sense. Uh, also, uh, you said when you had a gun stuck in your mm -hmm. face, I could not help feeling upset. Well, that implies you can't help your emotions. And uh, if you've had different, and you probably felt upset, assuming by what you meant by upset, was very, very concerned and very displeased and disappointed, then uh, that comes from a preference, but it still comes from your own preference. And if you had a different thought, isn't it wonderful this guy appears like he's not gonna shoot me. If he was, he would have shot me already probably but uh, unless I resist, but he's just going to take the money and run. Um, if you had that thought, feeling a, a thought of uh, what a relief, it doesn't seem like he's going to upset to shoot me, then you might feel, uh, you might not feel upset. Or an, another unlikely situation is if you are dying of terminal cancer and you want it to be out of your pain and, and this happened, you might be wishing that he shoots you. So, uh, so I'm just bringing up this extreme, these extreme situations to illustrate once again that our emotions don't come from situations like a gun stuck in your face, uh, but rather it comes from our thinking about it. Now, that's not to say it's easy to change your thinking that I'm not implying it's easy. Sometimes it's very, 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 very hard. Uh, and unless you're a stoic in these situations, you're probably not going to. But uh, keep in mind, uh, the, additional the initial premise that I mentioned at the beginning that most therapists seem to, to ignore. I hear one therapist after another talking about your emotions coming from situations. So therefore let's change the situation to help you. And that is false and toxic and is not a prescription for living a happy, productive life. Uh, that's okay. all I was gonna say, Kevin, did you wanna have the last word? Yeah, there, well, it also depends on our 
appraisal of the situation. I agree that, uh, that the situation itself doesn't create the emotion. Uh, however, it's pretty difficult to appraise a situation where you have a deadly weapon in your face as anything other than uh, your life is about to end. And so I would be, I, I would, I would say that anxiety would be a very common response that uh, most people would have when they have something like that happen. Yeah. Now, if they go on afterward, like some people do, and uh, uh, they're telling themselves that should not have happened to me, uh, that sort of thing, then we then we're talking about uh, something completely different. Uh, another example, if I'm crossing the street and there's a, a bus coming at me, uh, I think uh, it can be very helpful to have that little burst of adrenaline to get out of its way. And so, so there might be some, of course, it, it could backfire and we could freeze and get hit. But uh, the big idea here is that that little burst of adrenaline might be helpful. In my case, it was do what the guy with the gun is saying. And I did. I did exactly what, uh, what he said. And uh, I was more worried. The funny part was when I was lying on the floor, I was more worried that he was going to steal my tips than uh, the register. And of course, thankfully, he got out without my, uh, without my tips. And I lived to tell the tale. So. Yeah, yes. Well, I think there's a good differentiation to be made there, Kevin, that you highlight. And that is, there's a difference between what's a common response and what's a causal response. And, and so... Um, it's, and it's important not to confuse a common response with a causal response. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line is the fundamental principle is our emotions, no matter how common, come from our thinking. Mm -hmm. so, so that's an important thing to get across, especially to our clients. Okay, I'll give you the last, last word now. The last, last word. I really... I really don't have one other than as a therapist, I, I recognize that, uh, you know, I can't talk people out of being sad about loss. I can't, uh, that's, that's just part of life. And uh, the, when we start to awfulize about it and make it worse than it is, that's when we have a problem. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And although, although you can't talk people out of feeling sad, you can show them uh, some ways they can talk themselves out of feeling sad. And this is appropriate sadness. And one of the main ways is to list the advantages of the situation and focus on the advantages. So uh, I've done this particularly with clients whose relationship has ended and they were feeling very sad, sad about it. And, I and they didn't want to even feel sad, which is reasonable to feel. But... Um, they, so what I suggested is that they write the advantages of the relationship ending and focus on the advantages. And then they felt at least somewhat less sad. Okay, well, thank you very much for tuning in. If you have any thoughts about our discussion, please comment below, give us a like if you thought it deserves one suggest subjects for future podcasts, volunteer if you'd like to be a guest, and uh, 
donate to Patreon to help support us and subscribe to the 3-Minute Therapy podcast to stay on the rational side of life.